Hi, everyone. I'm Professor Kane. I'm the publisher of Universe Today. I've been a space and astronomy journalist for over 20 years. This is our weekly news bite segment where we talk about interesting news in space and astronomy coming up this week. We've got an update on the meteor storm, information about the Boeing Starliner launch, growing plants in lunar regolith, and some amazing photos of the sun by Solar Orbiter. All right, let's get into it. Last week, I let you know about the upcoming meteor storm that could could be happening on May 30th 31st. And we've got like a little bit more information. But also, when I posted last week, we got a lot of questions and comments, and people wanted more information. So we made a bit of a mistake on the text, it should have been in daylight time. So the time to watch it is on Monday night. So for people on the West Coast, that's May 30th at 10pm Pacific Daylight Time. For people on the East Coast, that is 1am on May 31st, Eastern Daylight Time, but it's still 0500 Universal Time. And the American Meteor Society gave us a bit of a more accurate timeline, they think it's going to be sometime between about 445 universal time to 515 universal time. So again, Pacific time, that's like 945 to 1015 Eastern time, it's 1245 to 115. But I just want to give a big caveat here. Calculating meteor storms is an inexact science. So we don't know what happened to the debris trail when Comet 73 P broke up, it might have moved very quickly, it might have moved more slowly, it's following the Earth from behind. And so the speed that the meteors are going to be striking the Earth are going to be slower than a meteor storm, like say the Leonids, like they're only going to be going about 15 kilometers per second, as opposed to like 73 kilometers per second. So it could be very different. And in fact, what actually happens if we don't see anything or if we see it early or if we see it late, then that will tell us a tremendous amount of just about how the activity in the solar system works. How does the sun's solar winds push against the debris from this and how that interacts with the Earth's orbit and when it comes back. And so whether or not it arrives on time or not, it's going to be a real boon to scientists. But for people who aren't say in North America, South America, or in Western Europe, I would still go and try because it could it could ramp up for a half day or a day before the storm actually peaks, and then do the same thing on the other side or it could be very quick. So wherever you are on the earth, if you get clear skies, I would go out on Monday night, soon as it gets dark and just see what you can see and then keep an eye on Twitter to see if other people are seeing the storm. And you'll get a sense on whether or not it's going to be happening at all. Good luck. I know I'm going to have cloudy skies, but hopefully you'll do better. When we recorded last week's news segment, the Boeing CST 100 Starliner had just taken off. And we waited to the last possible minute and then recorded the show. And so we didn't really find out what had happened after that. Well, good news, the spacecraft did make it to orbit and it was able to dock with the International Space Station. The problem was that two of its maneuvering thrusters failed during the orbital maneuvers, and it didn't cause a problem with the spacecraft being able to actually dock with the station, but still not a perfect flight. It stayed attached to the station for six days, and then it detached again on Wednesday and returned to Earth, landing at the White Sands Missile Range 
which is one of NASA's facilities. And it had to go through 11 steps that NASA wanted to check out, make sure they could handle the launch, getting to orbit, being able to dock, being able to undock and a bunch of other steps as well. So at this point, it's met all the criteria for NASA for it to be able to start carrying human astronauts to the International Space Station as part of their commercial contract. Part of the problem is and I mentioned this last week that United Launch Alliance only has a few of these Atlas five rockets, they've discontinued the line, but they're maintaining six of them for the CST 100 Starliner, and they've sold off the rest to Amazon to be able to launch their satellite communications network, their competition to Starlink. And so we don't really know what's going to happen once they use these six rockets to launch the Starliners. Will they switch over to the Vulcan? We don't really know because the Vulcan isn't human rated yet. So at this point, I think the next step that we're going to see at some point in the future is going to be a launch of a Starliner with human astronauts on board going to the International Space Station. It looks like water leaks are still a problem for NASA spacesuits. So we had a pretty terrifying event happened back in 2014, when European Space Agency astronaut Luca Pomertano was doing a spacewalk when his helmet started to fill up with water. And there was a leak with inside the spacesuit that was causing water to go into the helmet. And because he's in microgravity, the water didn't just sit down against the side, it sort of started to fill up and get into his eyes and get into his his nose and mouth and he was having trouble breathing. It was a pretty tense time and, and Pomitano said he was quite nervous about what had happened. Well, after this, NASA engineers figured out some mitigation strategies, they added an absorbent pad that goes behind the astronauts head in the spacesuit, they added a breathing tube that the astronaut can use if there is water in the helmet. But during a very recent spacewalk, the two astronauts had wrapped up and NASA astronaut Kyla Baron noticed that Matthias Maurer's helmet had water inside of it again. And so now it looks like this problem has returned in some extent. NASA is in the process of completely redesigning their EVA suits for future missions for Artemis for going to the moon and missions like that. And so there's only four of these spacesuits on the International Space Station right now. But until NASA figures out the problem, they've canceled all of their spacewalks, and they're gonna try and engineer a new solution to make these helmets safer for future spacewalks. So scientists have grown plants in actual lunar regolith. We've seen many tests of plants being grown in various lunar regolith simulants and Mars simulants. And apparently, plants are able to grow in these. But for the first time, researchers were able to actually take some real Apollo regolith samples that came from three different Apollo missions and grow plants. They used a kind of mustard plant, sort of a, uh, a relative of broccoli and cauliflower and kale. And it's very well known. They use it for all kinds of experiments. And the seeds sprouted just fine in the regolith. But by about the six day mark, they started to get stunted, their leaves started to turn different colors, their roots started to stunt. 
I'm, it's probably because there's absolutely no organic material in the lunar regolith. Not only that, but the regolith itself is, as we've mentioned many times, very sharp and jagged. And it's probably a little difficult on the plant's root system. But still, it's kind of interesting to see that they can still begin this process of growing. And who knows, maybe in the future, we'll see some way to treat the lunar regolith so that you can have farms on the moon when there are explorers there. Dust storms on Mars are a big problem. And we've talked about this many times in the past, they've been the cause of the death of many Martian spacecraft. Most recently, we saw opportunity, its solar panels were covered in dust. And at the same time, this giant global dust storm, the worst that had ever been seen, completely covered the planet blocked most of the light down to the rover. And it wasn't able to keep itself warm during the cold nights. And it, its electronics, its battery system froze, and it wasn't able to recover. And we've known about these dust storms for quite a while. But why these dust storms happen has always been a bit of a mystery. And now researchers have, have figured out that it seems to have something to do with the energy budget, the balance of energy that comes onto planet Mars. So when you think about during the summertime, when the northern hemisphere of Mars is pointed towards the sun, it's receiving a lot of energy. And then during the during for the southern hemisphere, it's directed away from the sun. And so it receives less energy. And so as Mars is absorbing a lot of energy from the sun, how quickly can it radiate that energy out again? The difference between the temperature on Mars between the summer and the winter is about 15%. While on Earth, it's only about 4%. And so what it seems like is that when Mars isn't able to release its heat fast enough, radiating it off into space, these dust storms start to grow and build. And then that starts to cover the planet starts to darken the surface, then the planet can radiate its heat away. And then the cycle begins anew. So now we have a better sense for why these dust storms might happen. And it could give future explorers and astronauts on Mars much more notice for when a big dust storm could be developing around the surface. We beat SpaceX, we beat NASA, we reached 1000 patrons before they launched their rockets. So thank you everyone for coming on board as a patron for universe today. We really appreciate your support. And as promised, the plan is that we're going to begin developing our book club. And this is a way that we're going to read some books together. You can tell me the books that you want me to read. I will tell you what I thought of them and we can rank and vote and maybe join in our discord server to talk about the books that we're reading. So again, thank you everyone who came on as a patron. And if you want to participate in the book club, stay tuned. We'll have information coming over the next couple of weeks on what our plans are. Now, if you want to join our Patreon, just go to patreon.com slash universe today. We'll give you special behind the scenes information. We will let you get an ad free version of universe today. So you don't have to see any ads ever, as well as ad free versions of all of our videos and podcasts. So again, just go to patreon.com slash universe today. And if you're interested, I've been interviewing the team behind universe today, 
all of the people who work on writing, creating videos, recording our podcasts. And so this week, I've got an interview with Nancy Graziano, who is the executive producer for the Weekly Space Hangout. She is the one who works and helps organize the live stream question shows that we do. And you can learn a lot more about what she's working on behind the scenes. And that's available on our Patreon feed. We've made it public, but you still need to be able to actually go and see it at patreon.com slash universe today. There are a lot of spacecraft orbiting the Earth, which are perfectly fine, but they've run out of propellant. And so they can no longer perform their duty. They can't maintain their position. They can't be able to direct their communications arrays at Earth. So what do you do? It's kind of a shame. It's hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars to develop a satellite. It sucks that it's just sitting there and you can't use it. So NASA is working on a new spacecraft called the on orbit servicing assembly and manufacturing satellite. And what this is going to do is it's going to be able to launch to a satellite be able to dock, perform various maintenance activities and refuel the propellant. And so it's due for launch in 2026. And right now NASA has one target, they're going to go to Landsat 7. This is a spacecraft that was launched back in 1999. And it was never meant to be serviced, never meant to be refueled. And so part of the challenge is that the spacecraft has got to be able to dock with the ring that that kept it attached to the upper stage of its rocket, it's got to be able to remove the there's like an insulating material that is surrounding the back of the spacecraft, it's got to be able to clip some wires, and then it's got to be able to access its propellant port and refuel it, it's going to transfer about 115 kilograms of propellant onto the spacecraft, and then it will be able to just continue on with its operations. This has never been done before. But if it's if it works, it's a really exciting way to rehabilitate existing spacecraft. And I think something that you should think about, and this is a question that always comes up is, what will we do with James Webb? How will we re repair James Webb if after 10 years, it stops functioning? This is the answer. If NASA can perfect this technique with lots of different satellites today, maybe it will be able to fly up to James Webb in 10 to 15 years at the end of its life and be able to add more propellant service any parts of the spacecraft and give it many more years of life. So hopefully this mission will work well, and then other missions that we care about will have a chance of being saved as well. Have you ever wondered what a nebula would look like in three dimensions? Well, now you can. Researchers have used the Gaia mission, which I'm sure you're aware is my one of my favorite spacecraft to map out the positions of 60,000 stars inside the Orion Nebula. When you have a picture of the Orion Nebula, it looks two dimensional, but really it is this giant blob of gas and dust that's floating in space. And there are newly forming stars all through the nebula. And so using Gaia, they were able to calculate the position of 60,000 of those stars inside the nebula, and then figure out what that looks like in three dimensions. They did the same thing for the California nebula. But in this case, they used 160,000 stars, and they found that it's a much more diffuse nebula, maybe a little older, a little larger. And you can imagine eventually, we're going to be able to get a sense three dimensionally of what these various nebulae look like in space. Now I can share some incredible images from the European Space Agency's solar orbiter mission. This is a mission that's been sent to observe the poles 
of the sun and it's going to be getting very very close to the sun and slowly going into more and more of a polar orbit so back in march 2022 it made its closest pass to the sun so far it got within the orbit of mercury which is about a third the distance from the earth to the sun it turned all of its instruments onto the sun and watched it and during that period a uh, coronal mass ejection these giant blobs of material that will fly out of the sun was hurled at the Earth. And so Solar Orbiter was able to record this event happening the entire time and then coordinate its observations with Earth based observations to give a much better sense of the sun's activity. And this is key because we know that these these coronal mass ejections and flares, if they actually strike the Earth, can cause problems with our satellites, can cause issues with our electrical power systems. And so to get as much advanced notice as possible is really important. And so now Solar Orbiter was able to watch all of the the material on the sun coming together leading to the solar flare, the coronal mass ejection. And this is going to give us more of a warning. But still like the pictures are ludicrous. And you're definitely going to want to check them out. If any of these stories are interesting to you, we're going to have links in the show notes, so you can follow the story to universe today and read the full information. And of course, if you sign up to our RSS feed or come back and visit the website, you can get these stories as they break and not wait for me to give you an encapsulation at the end of the week. One interview this week with William Ratcliffe, who is a researcher at Georgia Tech. He specializes in evolutionary biology. And we talked about the various steps that life has had to go from single cellular organisms to multicellular organisms. And of course, what does this mean for the search for life across the universe? I hope you enjoy it. Those were the news stories that we picked out this week. Of course, this is just a tiny amount of all of the stories that we cover in our weekly email newsletter. I write it by hand every week. It's thousands of words long. It is like a magazine, sometimes 30 stories plus links to as many more stories about space and astronomy. So if you want to get that, go to universetoday.com slash newsletter. And of course, I do an audio version, a podcast edition of everything to do all the interviews, all of the news shows, and even a lot of behind the scenes stuff with me. And you can get that by going to universetoday.com slash podcast or search for universe today on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And again, please consider joining our Patreon if you like what we do, and you want to support the work. Thanks to everyone who already joined us. Thanks to the interplanetary researchers, the interstellar adventurers, the galaxy wanderers, your support means the universe to us. All right, that was all the news that we had this week. We'll see you next week.